Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next, so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing The Mummy with Katie Peters Plays. Let's roll the film. The Mummy was released in 1999 from director Steven Summers. Also written by Summers, the film stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss, and John Hanna. So, Katie. Yes? As I ask all of my guests, uh, the first big question, why did you choose this movie? So, The Mummy has a very special place in my heart because when I was a kid, I loved reading about pharaohs and like the Sphinx and the pyramids. And I would go to... We lived in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and so we would go to Manchester, which is like the capital of New Hampshire. Okay. And now I'm questioning if that is actually the capital. <laughs> go with it. It's we fine. went to a bigger, or maybe Concord. It was Manchester or Concord, and we would go to either one of those. My parents would go to Home Depot because we were building a house at the time, and then we would always go to Barnes & Noble or Borders after. And I would always get the budget books that were like about ancient Egypt. When this movie came out, it was like the perfect combination of everything i wanted in a movie and it had in my opinion one of the best storylines and just it had brendan fraser in it who was in george of the jungle it just was it was something that spoke to me as a as a child that i don't know exactly how to explain but it just makes me happy because it's fun it's fun so a kid would love it and like one of the things when i was re-watching it they don't show like a lot of the violence in it yeah And so it kind of leaves your imagination to fill in the blanks. But I kind of liked that. I was like, a lot of movies nowadays just were like, let's show you everything. Mm -hmm. And this kind of used a creative way to explain things the mummy was doing. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it, too, even as an adult. (laughs) I've watched it over a 100 times, I'm pretty sure. Like this was like burning out the VHSs. Yeah, I had a VHS of the mummy and I literally would sit down and watch like i watched it all the time and wow even up until recently when we first moved here i was like i'm gonna put something on for background noise so i put the mummy dvd in because of course i got a mummy dvd to upgrade the VHS. <laughs> and instead of working on the things i should have been working on i ended up sitting down and watching the entire <laughs> movie so it's just it's one of those movies that i just i can't explain my draw it's still to new it. to me it's yeah <laughs> i'm excited because i know it's new to you and i want to it hear is, your it thoughts is. and opinions it is uh before we get into the movie itself i pulled up a whole bunch of trivia from imdb like i normally do so you might know some of this i don't know how much you've delved into the trivia that's in the movie okay but uh so the first thing an egyptologist was brought in to phonetically render what ancient Egyptian might have sounded like for the dialogue. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. I did not know that. It seems like above and beyond for this movie. <laughs> it does. I could see that, but I appreciate that they did that. Mm. I think it helps with the authenticity of it, but like as a kid, I wouldn't know what phonetically ancient Egyptian would have sounded like. So they could have said anything. <laughs> they could have said anything and have been like, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Brendan Fraser nearly died during a scene where his character is hanged. Rachel oh. Weiss remembered he stopped breathing and had to be resuscitated. <gasps> I didn't know that. This is all like, because I spent a lot of time in Internet Movie Database as a kid, and I don't remember any of this trivia. <laughs> oh, yes. But I I recently read that Brendan Fraser's body was like so beat up from all the stunts he did in his movies that... You know, he's had like a lot of pain and stuff. And I was watching this movie and I saw all the things he did for his stunts. And I, I, I mean, I don't know how you do a hanging scene like that and be safe. Like, to be honest, I. Yeah, that, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, I didn't know that. That's unfortunate. But I mean, I'm glad he's still alive. <laughs> right. Giving it his all. Well, that's how they got sequels. He's still yeah, that's alive. How you, that there's a bunch of mummy sequels and spinoffs. So uh, in one scene, Benny is shown with a sack full of gold, which he is trying to load onto a camel. And Benny pulls the camel by the reins, but the camel doesn't budge. The cameras all, for some reason, hated Kevin J. O'Connor, the actor who played Benny. They just didn't like him and wouldn't respond to him. Oh my, well, okay, Benny's kind of the worst anyway. <laughs> he is, but like the actor they wouldn't even respond oh, to. That's really interesting because I I wonder, I watched, well, obviously I watched it again and I remember him pulling on the camel mm -hmm. and re-watching it. I was like, I wonder how they trained the camel to do that. I actually thought that while I was watching <laughs> oh, it. Oh, they but just hate him. <laughs> they just hate him. <laughs> that's all. No biggie. No big. Uh, the white nightgown that Evelyn wore when the ship was attacked became transparent when it got wet and had to be digitally painted white during post-production so the film could keep its PG-13 rating. I was wondering that, too, because like <laughs> I was like, that is a white nightgown and when it gets wet, but wouldn't it have been cheaper for them to just give her... Wear more layers? Like, wear more layers or... Yeah. But that's embarrassing for her. Like, she's probably like, I didn't sign up for this, but... She seems to be pretty free in her movies. I guess I haven't really seen much of her newer work. Yeah. I, I think she didn't mind too much. <laughs> She's probably like, eh, it's eh. a regular day. <laughs> That's right. The uh, library disaster was done in one take. It would have taken an entire day to reshoot if a mistake had been made. I rewatched that scene and I was like, that was not CGI. That was not. Someone put all those books on a shelf. And I thought about if they hadn't gotten that shot, they would have had yeah. to reset everything up. And yeah. I would have hated my life if I was a PA on the set and they needed me to do that. This movie falls into an interesting time period where we're just kind of pushing the limits of early CGI. Yeah. And we're still using a lot of practical effects. So it kind of like straddles that area, which is really interesting to say. I think at the time that was like cutting edge it CGI was. and like motion. I think they used motion capture. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, I think it, I think it holds up all right. Like it's obviously not the same caliber of today's movies but mm -hmm. i feel like it, it it held up all right like it wasn't i could tell it was cgi but some of it was great and some of it was a little questionable <laughs> <laughs> definitely you're like yeah that's not real like that's yeah. <laughs> Uh, while the film made extensive use of computer-generated imagery, uh, many scenes, including ones where Evelyn is covered with rats and locusts, were real using live animals. Uh, the locust thing. We weren't at that level of CGI yet. No, I don't. I, I mean, I could probably handle a rat, not not a locust or a yeah. bunch of locusts. That's disgusting. <laughs> it's it's gross. The scene where O'Connell saves Evelyn from the sacrificial slab was filmed with Brendan Fraser fighting against invisible mummies. He meticulously choreographed his every movement, and all the mummies were later added to the shot with CGI matching his moves. That is really interesting because 
I thought in that moment I couldn't tell if there were stand-ins or not, like because you know yep. obviously those are CGI mummies, but right, right. That must have looked ridiculous <laughs> before I'm they sure. added the mummies. It reminded me of um, when I was uh, wrestling training. One of the mm-hmm. things that we had to do was we had to wrestle an invisible opponent. So we had to go through an entire match as if we had an opponent and throw ourselves on the mat and into the corner and act like we got punched and do the entire match with nobody in the ring with us. That's really interesting. So it's probably a similar thing there to where you choreograph an entire thing and just go with it. Did you feel like silly doing it or did it help you when you actually performed? A little bit, but it was more about like learning the psychology of a match than anything. So like now's this time and you got to do this thing and this guy's got to get over on the other guy. (laughs) But it it probably I I had a smaller audience than Brendan Fraser probably did (laughs) because it was just like the other people training. Mm -hmm. But that's just what it made me think of like right away. That's really interesting. I a lot of these things I did not know. Uh, According to director Stephen Summers, Universal phoned him the morning after this movie was released and said, quote, we need another one. See, I wasn't sure. I was doing a little Googling and I wasn't it didn't bomb, but I know the critics didn't like it from what I could see. I remember it being very popular in the theaters, even if people didn't love, love it on the critic side. I felt like maybe because I I was a kid and I didn't have that understanding of how movies worked yet. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking it was just like this little movie that nobody ever watched. (laughs) It's just my favorite indie movie, which it clearly wasn't. (laughs) It's Um, just your special treasure. It was my special treasure. (laughs) And then when I found out they made The Mummy Returns, I was so excited. And my dad, my dad, my mom and my sister, since my dad knew how much I loved it, we went to a theater in Vermont because lived in middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, and they took me to see it like opening night. And I was so excited. (laughs) And I feel like the second one's not that bad. But yeah, I was glad that it did well. But as a kid, I thought it was my special treasure. It was my special movie. (laughs) No one else knew about it. Oddly enough, even though even though this is the first time I saw this one, I -hmm. have seen The Mummy Returns and I have seen The Scorpion King because The Rock. The the oh the CGI and the Mummy Returns when the Rock Ooh, oh that's pretty rough that does not hold up <laughs> that does not hold up at all but that wasn't that his first movie uh yes it was it was so I credit this wonderful series for giving the Rock his career for making in him the movies. highest paid actor in the U S currently or in the world right now actually because I the Scorpion King was okay but it was fun I mean yeah. it wasn't anything fabulous but it was fine yeah. A, uh, a cloak lent by the British costume rental company Angels and wore by an extra in this film was discovered to have in fact been made for Alec Guinness when he played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars A New Hope. Wait. So they just had a random extra wearing Obi-Wan's cloak in this movie and they didn't know. Did they say where? They didn't say who it was either. That's super weird, but like I guess maybe it was like an Easter egg because... It wasn't like intentional. They found out oh. after the fact. Oh, so it was like they just gave the rental yeah. and somebody just wore Obi-Wan Kenobi's yep. outfit. I mean, it fits. I mean, there was a lot of <laughs> desert clothing and things. So, I mean. Same thing. It's like Tatooine, desert planet. Wasn't like, oh, gosh, that guy's wearing Obi-Wan Kenobi's outfit. <laughs> they were like, where's the bin of desert clothes? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> they just shipped it. Yep. Uh, a couple more. During the scene when Imhotep is raising the sandstorm in the desert, the camera had to quickly pan up because the wind machines being used kept blowing Arnold Vishnu's cape up and exposing his backside. 
that scene makes me laugh so much when he's just standing there. Yeah. And he's got his mouth open and he's just like, <laughs> like the, this movie has an odd amount of mouth opening, it which does. I guess it's, it's just, it's all over the place. And so I, I mean, I, that makes sense. The outfits are very skimpy for the Egyptians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But now you can watch that scene again and be like, hee, hee, hee. <laughs> he's bum bum. I know his bum's out. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, avoid dehydration and the scorching heat of the Sahara, the production's medical team created a drink that the cast and crew had to consume every two hours. Sandstorms were daily inconveniences. Snakes, spiders, and scorpions were a major problem with many crew members having to be airlifted out after being bitten. Oh, because they filmed this in Morocco, right? At least that's what uh, I think. Yes. I think we we Googled it just because I was I was going to do it now. But I think it was Morocco, maybe. One of the things about it was like you're in I normally they film stuff on sets. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think I was like, they're probably in L.A. Oh, no, they set. were out they there. They were in it. And I didn't even think about like scorpions or snakes and sand, the actual sandstorms because that's what the desert's like. But I thought it was really cool that they went to these places to film yeah, instead of just phoning it in and doing it on a set. They were apparently also told not to wander off too far for fear that they wouldn't find their way back because it all just looks the same. I feel like that's a very valid concern. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Not to mention all the snakes and scorpions. (laughs) I mean, that is actually really interesting, but I really enjoyed that about the movie because it made it feel more real. Totally. Yeah. It's always more authentic if you shoot in the actual thing, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Arnold v- uh, Vosloo, I don't know how to say this guy's name. <laughs> Arnold Vosloo understood the approach that Stephen Summers was going for in his screenplay, but only agreed to take on the role of Imhotep if he could do it absolutely straight. From Imhotep's point of view, this is a skewed version of Romeo and Juliet. Huh. Like saying like he played like a straight? Yeah. Just like, like he a- wasn't he wasn't doing any comedy or bits or anything oh, like a yeah. lot of the other people were. He was just playing straight. I think that was a good move, though. Absolutely. Because I think if he was making jokes and stuff and he was being goofy, I wouldn't have honestly respected the movie as much yeah, as I do yeah. because it. I think it would have taken away from, yeah, all the other characters have one-liners or like a little funny thing here and there. But I think it made it feel more real because he's from this ancient time. And yeah, I think that, I mean, on the actor's part, that's a Somebody good has to ground it, basically. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a comedy. Yep. The sword Imhotep takes from the Pharaoh Seti and kills him with at the beginning of the film is the same sword that Rick uses at the end to kill Imhotep. Oh, I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. I love when they do callbacks. I'm surprised I never noticed that. But I mean, it's so long in the movie that you wouldn't really connect it. And I normally don't like when movies have opening sequences with stories like before they get into the actual movie. But for some reason, this one worked. And it flowed really well, and you need that setup. They actually had to cut down the origin story a lot. They had a lot more planned that they never got to. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, the movie's over two hours, so I can't imagine trying to fit more. They gave us all the major bullet points. And I feel like it would get convoluted at a certain point. Agreed. Last piece of trivia. The title of the movie is actually completely inaccurate, as the title character was never mummified. His followers were, but he was subjected to a very different death. Oh. So even though we assume he's the mummy and yeah. he kind of is the reference mummy, he was never actually mummified. No, because he's buried alive in it. Right. And 
They did wrap him up. I mean, they did. But he he didn't have say like the normal mummification process, right? But yeah, I mean that is actually really interesting when you think about it because <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of other mummies, but he's the main character that yeah. you would assume that that is actually really interesting. And now that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> Saying the mummy is a lot more marketable than the the eaten up by scarabs yeah. guy that kind of <laughs> survived over the ages and was magically resurrected. That's just doesn't flow well on a poster. Oh. And that was really funny when they open his sarcophagus yep. and they're like, oh, he's juicy. And yeah. I always thought Ugh. that. And I, and I mean, the whole I love that whole scene just because there's like his fingernails on the inside mm-hmm. of the sarcophagus and all. I just I remember I just thought the writing was really smart. And I just liked how they they went through everything mm-hmm. because it has horror elements. Right. But it doesn't feel like I feel honestly, I feel like it has a little bit of everything. And I know that's corny to say, but it was it was a scary movie, but it wasn't scary that I couldn't mm. really get into it. And then as a kid and i just felt like it had comedy in it to lighten the mood but it also was very serious and i just i don't know the pacing is really good in my opinion yeah yeah one of the things that i read about it too was that stephen summers the writer director he was genuinely scared by the mummy that came out in like the 1930s and he was like i want to do something like that because it genuinely scared me but i don't want to make it as scary i want to i like the concepts and i want to make it more fun i because I was never really sure if this movie was supposed to be a reimagination of the first mummy. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen the first mummy. Nor and I. so I kind of want to see that at some point and see if there's any comparisons. Because they just did the Tom Cruise mummy. Right. Which I really didn't like. Like I've heard I, bad things about it. Because I think this movie is, is like my mummy movie. And mm-hmm. so it would have to be pretty good to top it. It had elements in the new one that I was like, all right, but overall, I thought it was really poorly done. And I was kind of disappointed. I'm, I I could never tell if they were a part of the same franchise or if it was just another reimagination of it or. I think they're all reimaginations. So, like, obviously, this this current franchise that we're discussing is has like a whole bunch of movies in there. And that's all. It's one thing. And then yeah. the newer Tom Cruise one is like a completely different reimagining. And that one was supposed to be part of the Universal Monsters universe that they were trying to build. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think in practice, it sounds really cool. Yeah. But then like doing it, it's not. <laughs> it just didn't work. And I honestly... It just doesn't seem genuine. So, like, this movie seems, like, genuine to me. Like, mm-hmm. the Brendan Fraser mummy. And I, I I grew up with Brendan Fraser, too. And so I just love the fact, like, he was in George of the Jungle, which I watched so many times as which a kid. Which is why he got cast for this, by the way. Really? Yes, it was because of George of the Jungle. And they, they even, when you see him in the beginning with the long hair, I'm like, that's so George of the Jungle, Brendan oh, Fraser. Oh, I didn't know that. And then, like... He was in Blast from the Past and mm-hmm. all these things. And so, like, I love Brendan Fraser and I think I always will. But I really liked all the supporting roles, too. Mm-hmm. And I thought the the Magi and Jonathan, I had the biggest crush on Jonathan when I was a kid of yeah. all the people in the movie. And I don't know, like, the whole movie just makes me happy. And I, I, I'm glad that this was your first time watching it and that you actually watched it. So I'm excited to, like, <laughs> so did you like it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. It was it was like I did not like it. It was fine. Yeah. It was fine. I think the the issues with it for me are one. I think a lot of the CGI does not hold up very well. Yeah. I don't think it ages well. <laughs> and and a lot of the it's a lot of tropes I've seen before. Yeah. 
if I had seen it when it came out, I guarantee you I would have loved it. Yeah, I think since it was such an ingrained part of my childhood that mm-hmm. it does always have a fixture. But if I saw it now, I probably would be like, yeah, you know, it was fun, but it wasn't really, you know, groundbreaking. And yeah. I think at the time, like the sand, the face with the sand and like the mummy coming to life and stuff doesn't look great now. <laughs> but at the time I was like, "You, whoa, that's so crazy. Yeah. And I don't know. It, it is something where I wonder if they remade this movie and it came out now how it would be. Because I have a like, I feel like a lot of movies now just kind of go go right in with the action. And they're yeah, just con- they're like they go hard with stuff, and I feel like there's more story to this mm-hmm. than a lot of the movies or action adventure movies I see now. What I appreciated about it was the tone, because I am not a horror movie fan. Yeah, uh, I enjoy that there are horror ish elements kind of sprinkled throughout, and yet you have a bunch of people wisecracking, and it it did. It's obviously very inspired by things like Indiana Jones, yeah. which I absolutely love. But anytime you do that, there's a little bit of I could just go watch Indiana Jones because <laughs> who's going <laughs> to be better than that? But I love the mummy more than I love Indiana Ooh. Jones. I know. I know. It's just there's something about it like the scarabs. Mm-hmm. Those those looked OK CGI wise. But like I remember as a kid, Benny also. I hated Benny. Mm-hmm. And he's does the, the actor does such a good job at making a dislikable character. He does, totally. And but he's also somewhat likable, but he's also really not likable. But I just I just like the character development that they've fostered in it. Yeah. And I was w- watching some of the CGI with the scarabs like going under the skin and stuff. Like yeah. I think nowadays <laughs> it probably would look super real. But I also appreciated like with some of the mummies that come to life later in the movie, mm-hmm. it was just actors or like people in costume essentially twitching around and everything and i love when they add elements that are real because i don't feel like they do that anymore like with jurassic park having the actual dinosaur Mm -hmm. quote unquote or in jaws having an animatronic shark yeah and i feel like nowadays with cgi some of that gets lost because they just automatically do all cgi and not a lot of that real like Yoda. Like mm-hmm. Yoda so was a puppet growing up and like I love that he looked real and so in this movie I like that they have elements of that on top of the CGI but it's not so heavily leaning on that yeah. that it looks like garbage the entire yeah. movie. <laughs> I do remember when this came out it was kind of like one of the movies that was pushing where we could go with CGI and kind mm-hmm. of in- innovating a little bit. Like that yeah. stuff that happens in the desert. We were like, oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> like that was that was very innovative. And I'm, I bet a bunch of the other stuff was uh, the desert stuff, I think, holds up very well. Yeah. The stuff that doesn't is the stuff like when you see Imhotep and then he has like the patches of yeah. corpse still there like those are moving positions on his face as he's turning his head and i'm like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too about it is like we were discussing there's a lot of mouth opening in the yes. movie which i thought was interesting and there's a part when he's fully regenerated and he does it and it just kind of looks like a bad photoshop mm-hmm. full mouth open or like a like a honestly a snapchat filter or something i mean they're 90s <laughs> movie effects that's mm-hmm. that's what they are and i think Nowadays, with everything in HD, I see. I have an I have a DVD. I don't have a Blu-ray. Of okay, the Mummy. And I, I watched don't know. the high def version. See, and I'm curious how it would be like a high def remaster of the Mummy because, like, I think somewhat I'm at an advantage watching it on DVD. Probably because it's you know, yeah, 
I probably saw more flaws than were in your copy. (laughs) And so that's one of the things where I obviously have this. I'm not going to buy the Blu-ray because I have a DVD set. But (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's interesting nowadays. Everything's so crystal clear and made to be crystal clear that you can't get away with the things like when you watch a sci-fi movie and they have bad CGI, you know it's bad CGI. You mm-hmm. expect that. But if this movie were to come out now with this CGI, it would be trashed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it just literally trashed. <laughs> it'd be it'd be low budget for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It would be on sci-fi. <laughs> it would. It would. And it, it would it would actually would. hold up all right on sci-fi for sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh wanna go through some of the beats of the movie? Yes. Okay. So we get the intro. We got that 90s CGI on the Beatles uh, tagging mm-hmm. Imhotep, which looks great. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually really enjoyed the transition of them going from that time to the uh, 1920s. And you yeah. see the the statue kind of slowly or like time lapse a road. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice transition. I thought it worked really well. And like I was saying, I don't normally like when there's stories at mm-hmm. the beginning of movies and setups and I like that because it tied it together and it warped to the future mm. and it showed the passage of time in a creative way versus just jumping. Yeah. And that CGI actually looked pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, that looked pretty good. Yeah. I agree. So I do. I really like that also. I um I had the perception when I saw trailers of this way back when, when it was first like being promoted, that it was modern day for some reason. And even now when I watched it, I was like, wait, 1920s? Mm-hmm. I, I did. I think as a kid. And my husband said this, too, when we were watching it. He's like, I always just assumed it was like the current modern time period. Yeah. But then, like, as we were watching it, it's definitely 1920s. It's definitely historic in that way, too. But I also kind of feel like the humor and the way that people talk mm-hmm. is a little bit more modern than, say, they probably totally. would be in the 1920s. Yep. Though I feel like they did a pretty good job keeping that feel considering yeah that it's like the 1920s like the sets and the costumes and everything looked really good for that time period it reminds me a little bit of like the the pirates of the caribbean movies in the sense that like nobody talks like they're from that time it's almost it's almost like you're watching a movie of people pretending to be in that time period like playing in that set (laughs) and i and i feel like they don't really allude to it all that much so it's kind of just like a understood that it's in the past but like, even the guns don't seem like they're that old. Like, no. everything just kind of – I feel like you could honestly place it in a modern time and change the costumes and it would be fine. Probably. But I kind of enjoyed, like, O'Connell's – I don't even – outfit? Is it? It's not really a costume. <laughs> I guess what O'Connell's wearing and yeah. then, like, Evie's dresses and everything. And it is weird because, like, I think back to that time, like, her being a librarian mm-hmm. slash kind of e- Egyptian history – Everything like would that be a reasonable thing that she would have been doing in the, that time period? Yeah, so I like, know. there's things like as an adult watching it that I didn't pick up on when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm curious if this would have been a thing she could have even participated in. Right. But I thought it was. I really like that she's like a strong female lead though, and that's something I I didn't even realize until I was older. I was like, no, she's like. There's a part where they first get to Hamanoptra and the Americans. We're like, oh, but she's being led by a woman. What does mm-hmm. a woman know? And I always, I just, I, there's little things that I noticed this time around that I was like, that's kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. And she does, she shuts down a lot of would be bad interactions. Yeah. Um, we get the part in the library where was it Dr. Bray? Um, they never actually say his name in the movie. No, I don't think they do. So I only know it from like looking it up. They say it in the <laughs> sequel. 
but they don't say it in this one. Uh, he okay. accidentally burns part of the map. And right away, I was like, come on. That was yeah. so on purpose. <laughs> I'm like, oops. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like, yeah. And um, it made sense later in the movie. That's one of the things I liked about this is that there's not a lot of plot holes. Because mm. some movies, I'm constantly like, why did they do it this way? Sure. And most of the time when I'd ask a question when I was rewatching it, I would have it answered within the next scene. Or like with that, I was like, he totally meant to burn the map. I didn't remember. I I could vaguely remember that he was part of the Magi. Mm-hmm. And then at the end where it's like, we're a secret society who's been trying to keep the creature. Uh, we're a secret society that keeps popping up and being like, hey. <laughs> hey, I did think that was a little funny. They're like always on top of a mountain yeah. or they're, you know, just lurking about. <laughs> but then I was like. Earlier in the movie, I was like, why were they on the boat? How did they know that they had the key and part of the map? Mm. And then it was because the doctor right. obviously tipped them off. And that's what I like, though, because I was like, my questions are being answered and I'm not like left with, I don't understand why that happened kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think part of part of the thing, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it helped it for me is that maybe because I'm a more seasoned movie watcher, all the foreshadowing is so blatant. And I don't know if that's just me or if that's just it's just blatant in the movie. So like what? Like, do you have an example? So that's one example of it. Another one is when Evie says to Benny that people like you always get your comeuppance. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously that's going to happen now. There were so many like telltale things like that where they were just spelling out what was going to happen to somebody. I guess it is very much like and I think I have a harder time seeing that since I actually have watched it so many times. (laughs) But it is. It is kind of, yeah, it is very laid out. There's no, like, twists. Mm-hmm. There's no surprises. Though I do think, like, they do a good job of keeping interesting things happening. Because mm-hmm. I kind of forgot all about the, is it the boils and sores? Oh, and, like, the the zombie-ish type The zombie-ish people. stuff. Yeah. And I kind of, for some reason, that scene doesn't resonate. As, like, I don't remember it as much as I, I remember. It's not a great scene. But it was interesting because, like, I just thought it was funny when they gunned the car and they just hit a bunch of them. And I was just like... <laughs> It was just something where I feel like, yeah, there's never like a twist at the end where you go, whoa, that's what this was all about. Like even at the very, very end when they take his soul or whatever they did with the chariot coming down. Yeah, they um, they pulled his immortal soul out of his body. Yeah, And then they just killed him. But then he goes into the water and it's like all like it's just there's like a a magic sense to things. But it's. There's not going to be like a twist ending like in Shutter Island or something right, like right, that. Right, right. <laughs> you just kind of like it's just a story, which is fine. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it is a it's a family oriented movie, even if it's PG thirteen. Yeah, it's not made for like crazy analysis of movie storytelling. It's like <laughs> this is just a fun ride. Just get on. It's like an amusement park of a movie. Just get on it and ride it through. I think they had one. They I mean, did. Like a, they did, they and I did. don't. Obviously, it's probably not around anymore, which I'm really bummed about. I don't know. I read stuff about it, and apparently, when it debuted, the lines were astronomically long. I would today if I could go to that. <laughs> ride. But um, they also made a video game based off the movie. Did they? And I think it was PlayStation. I'm not actually sure, but I watched. I looked it up on YouTube, and I watched some gameplay, and it looked pretty terrible. Yeah, but well, you have I, if to I had, play it. Like that's. I think it's on PC, so I might actually look into it because I'm like, it might be a fun thing to do um, (laughs) because I think it sells for like 70 or $80 for a console and then you can get it for like 15 on PC. Oh, wow. But I mean, it didn't look like anything that was to write, like write home to mom (laughs) about, but I was like, you know, it might be. But it has to be played just to be played. Yeah. 
Um, on the boat, we have the classic trope of the innocent lady slowly becoming infatuated with the ruggedly handsome bad boy. <laughs> True. And it was interesting because like they had just met, though. I mean, it's just that uh, that's always funny to me in any yeah. movie. I'm like, you guys have known each other for like three days and now you're just in love. But she sees I him do... with his haircut and all of a sudden she's like, oh, like, my. Like, the like, who is this guy? <laughs> and it is it is funny because it's. It, it that's never made sense to me in any sort of movie yeah. where it's like, yeah, they've been through a huge ordeal together. And like the corny ending line mm-hmm. where he, I don't even remember what Jonathan says, but it's something like, oh, well, I guess with all that treasure and we didn't get anything. And he like looks at her and says, <laughs> we it's not a total loss or something like that. But it is, I think they almost make fun of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, and because Jonathan tries to kiss the camel and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But I... I do think that's interesting, but I I understand because they wanted to add a romance portion to it. Mm-hmm. But like, she just met him; yeah. she didn't need to be all like. But he did kiss her at the prison, so maybe that that was part of it. It's just that kind of movie. They had to mm-hmm. they had to shoehorn that in. With the other. <laughs> um, I thought it was hilarious on the boat when the the magi are popping up in the window. And it's oh like such gosh. a small window. I was like, this is like Hogan's Alley on NES. Yeah. It's like a shooting gallery. A hundred percent. It reminded me of like a ride at Disney World yes. or something where like the, the thing opens and there's like fake shooting yep. coming yep. out of the window. Because <laughs> I, I thought that too. And then I think I think one of them, I think O'Connell killed one of them or something. Mm-hmm. And then another one popped yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. And so. It's hilarious. Oh. And I, I just think it's funny that there's a couple, I think. <laughs> Jonathan ran into the room and knocked one of them into a fire and then he's just on fire. And I'm like, these are supposedly like kind of the good guys. Like yeah. they're just getting wrecked. <laughs> it's hilarious. The uh when they get back on land, there's the shot of O'Connell looking at Evelyn and there's like this huge accompanying musical swell to like mm-hmm. now now he's getting interested in her and <laughs> like really push this romance. <laughs> it is it, it is and like when he gets her the archaeology set Mm -hmm. or whatever that she's that he stole from the americans or whatever but it is just like this weird almost like elementary school oh do they like me and then like (laughs) i'm gonna get you a gift and then it's just yeah i they do basically act like kids yeah it it, it 100 percent is like that uh when they get to hamanatra they enter the city with the other treasure hunters split up to the different dig sites Several of the American treasure hunters are killed by the acidic booby trap, mm. which didn't feel as impactful as maybe it should have. It was like, oh, my God, three people are dead. And they were just like, all right, whatever. I know. Like, <laughs> honestly. So the guy's yelling, the the good doctor or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what that character's name is, but he's yelling for them to open the thing. And then they just like literally melt. <laughs> and then they're all just hanging out at the campfire yeah. later. Like, I, I yeah, I guess... <laughs> That really isn't addressed. It's just kind of like, oh, they're dead now. Yeah. They're like throwaway people. That's kind of a terrible way to look at it. But it's kind of like just part of the the whole movie existing as a live action cartoon, because I think that's what it feels like to me. It's very much like there's no real stakes, even though people keep dying all over the place. There's like (laughs) (laughs) there is a lot of people who die in it. And like you just kind of move it, it moves so fast like once that starts happening that it's just like there's another person dead and then there's another person dead yeah because like eventually all the americans who took i don't even know what those are called they're like little urns i think yeah they have different organs like in each one. Oh yeah that's right and so he the mummy quote unquote <laughs> goes through each of them getting the organs he needs to regenerate yep. and like literally that's four people dead yeah and I just remember there was one scene where they're like almost half half the Americans are dead. 
And Benny comes running out when they're trying to escape. And he's like, Emotep, Emotep, they're right here. And I was like, he's such a rat. Like, he's such a, he's the worst. He's a scumbag. <laughs> he is a scumbag. Uh, the warden who had come along with them is prying the decorative beetles off the wall when one of them comes alive and burrows through his body, killing him, giving it that horrible CGI of the, uh, the lump <laughs> moving up his body, which looks, which looks like something out of Roger to. Rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's very cartoony. And I, that character just, he was just, did they ever find him? Uh, yeah, he came running oh, out yeah. and he ran against the wall oh, and like yeah. died. Okay. Cause I was like, they, they didn't even address that really either. No. It was just kind of like, like he died dead. and they were hanging out yeah. at the campfire. Everybody drinking. that dies, it's like a, a half a thought. <laughs> Where did they put the bodies? I don't understand. I assume they just let the scarabs take care of it. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I, cause he, the prison warden just, Goes with them to claim his portion of the treasure. Mm-hmm. He dies. And then I'm just thinking about it. They go through his stuff after that. And they find the alcohol in his bag. And then they just get drunk off. Yeah. Of yeah. It, and this is like that. That was crazy to me. Like the, the Magi come in. They're like, get out of here. You're dead. You have a day. And they're like, let's get hammered. <laughs> like, I know. And hang out. I feel like if a, a bunch of people from came out of the darkness on horses and told me to leave, I would probably leave. <laughs> like real fast. <laughs> Um, the Americans find the cursed chest and open it up while O'Connell's crew opens a sarcophagus in which they expect to find a mummy, but find the dead body who had been uh, buried alive. We kind of talked about that scene earlier. Mm-hmm. Evelyn locks the book of the dead and reads from it. And of course, someone says no harm ever came from reading a book, mm-hmm. which is clearly someone who hasn't seen enough horror movies. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it's like a Ouija board. It's like, don't, especially a book as ominous as that. Yeah. Like, why would you, I, I don't know. But it's interesting because then maybe you don't think there's magic and you don't think that stuff would happen. Yeah. The, um, so the plagues that all happened mm-hmm. felt very inconsequential, except for the boils one, because they all became like kind of like zombies. Like they're all mind controlled, even though it yeah. really didn't have anything to do with the boil. Why would boils make you mind controlled? Whatever. Beside the point. But yeah, but all the plagues <laughs> happen almost for the sake of the plagues happening. It is true. Like I. The water turns to blood. Yeah. But then nothing else ever comes right. of it. I think maybe it's just to show like things are happening and they have because they do mention like we have to save the world at some point. Right. So maybe the water's just always blood until they kill Emo. <laughs> and like the locusts, I don't even like, yeah, they really you get away from it and then it's never addressed. Yeah, really the plagues again. come and then they're just gone. Yeah. Because if, in theory, if all the water and drinks turned to blood, there wouldn't be any, like, fresh water to drink. Seems like the stakes would have been way higher. Yeah. They'd be like, everyone's getting dehydrated. We right. need to do this fast. Yeah, I never really thought about that because I think it was more for, like, cinematic, dramatic, oh my gosh, things are happening. Yeah. But, yeah, really nothing ever came of it. Yeah. It was more like just signaling. The only one, and they did do every plague except for the firstborn kids dying. And they, oh. they it, it said that they purposely steered away from that because of the rating and everything. And yeah, I feel like that would have made that this would have taken a really dark turn. Exactly. They were like, that doesn't really fit in. Yeah. Here. Had they gone that direction, I think it would have been a wildly <laughs> different movie. <laughs> wildly. Uh, we get the revelations of Imhotep, uh, assuming that Evelyn is his princess. I'm not going to say her name because I can't freaking say her name. <laughs> Anaksuna Moon. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Wow. Well, yeah, you have seen this a thousand times. I've seen this a lot. Yeah. And then Benji encounters Imhotep and becomes his kind of minion because mm-hmm. he's muttering like all the different prayers, which I thought was kind of a funny bit. Yeah, I I thought that was actually really well done because he had all like yeah. 
every religion he was sort prepared. of he's a survivor yeah <laughs> and like i mean it played his character really well because he's just a manipulative totally like scumbag and he just really does whatever serves him best yeah but in the end he did get his come up <laughs> come up as they foreshadowed <laughs> They all return to Cairo and most already leave Egypt, but Imhotep shows up again as the water around turns to blood. He takes mm-hmm. the skin from the same man he pulled the eyes and the tongue from before, but before he can attack, he sees a cat and flees. They never really address that because now that I'm thinking of it, later on in the movie, they could have had a cat with them to just kind of handle situations. And they do, they do use it one other time when he goes and kisses Evelyn. Yeah. And, and O'Connell comes in with a cat and is just like, here, it's a cat. And, and maybe, I mean, having a cat wasn't practical. No. But. They did say when he got to full power, it, that wouldn't phase him anymore. Oh, okay. That is true. It is something where I was just thinking, like, if he had, because when they went back to him in Optra, he was already fully regenerated. Right. And so having a cat wouldn't have really right. helped at that point. Exactly. But you would think before that point, they would have had a cat with them at all times. I was waiting for what would be my favorite movie ever, and an army of cats rises up to fight the mummy. I was like, this movie's going to be amazing. <laughs> it would have been amazing if that's where the movie actually went. It's just about forming an army of cats to take down an ancient mummy. <laughs> I'm here for it. I want to see it still. If we do a remake, that needs to happen. We got to just rewrite the ending. Yes, that's it. We're halfway there. <laughs> uh, O'Connell locks Evelyn in the room, tasks the Americans with a protecting arrow. Uh, we talked about that a little. I'm going to skip over some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, devours Evelyn's guards, makes his way into the room. We do the cat thing. Uh, the people of Cairo succumb to Imhotep's control. We got the boils and all the <laughs> hitting them with the car and all that stuff. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Weird thing. Why is Winston just sitting alone in the <gasps> desert? What is happening? I, you know, <laughs> that didn't really make sense even as a kid. I think when they meet him at the bar, he's like, I'm just at the Royal Air Base drinking my days away kind he's of just, thing. He's out there. But I he's assume. Sit, yeah, he's just sitting there drinking tea yeah. in the hot desert sun. But I think because he had mentioned earlier at the bar, like everybody else died in their heyday kind of thing mm-hmm. and going down in flames and glory and... So I think when O'Connell went to say, like, let's do this, he wanted to go down Mm -hmm. in his flame and glory. But I was so, like, as a kid, and even now, I was so sad that he just died. Like, he just, like, he flies the plane, and then he's just dead. Yep. And by the way, the best-looking corpse I've ever seen after a plane crash. (laughs) All of them had, like, minimal injuries, if any. Yeah, including Winston, (laughs) who died from his injuries. He had a smile on his face, too. He did. I think this smile was supposed to be like, this was his moment and he finally had it. I think so, yeah. Like he was, yeah. Nobody had any, and I noticed when I watched it this time, there's not a lot of blood. No. They don't show, like, there's a lot of dead things and a lot of dead people. Mm -hmm. And even at the end, when Emotep gets stabbed, Mm -hmm. he has like a little bit of blood on his hand, but he has his hands over the wound and there's no, I mean, if he had a, a sword put through his stomach, it would obviously be a yeah, lot more blood than yeah. that. So I don't, I think that was probably intentional for the PG 13 totally. rating. Yeah. But there was an obvious lack of injuries and blood. And like the most graphic thing was like when his arm got cut off. Yeah. And even and that, that wasn't, wasn't even gross. that. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't even that graphic. Yeah. And he just put it right back on. <laughs> it just supports the live action cartoon of the whole thing, which is, I'm yeah. fine with. I don't want all blood and gore and everything. Let's just have fun. Yeah. I want a fun movie of people dying. Yeah. (laughs) 
kind of going into the whole final stretch, uh, stumbling into the treasure room. O'Connell's group is attacked by Imhotep's undead priests. They make their way to the statue of Horus. They found the gold book of Amun-Ra. Evelyn's on the table to be sacrificed. Jonathan enters with the book. They do all that stuff. We got the inscription. We got the mm-hmm. guards going after O'Connell. And then uh, he finishes the inscription. They turn around on uh, the the princess lady the, whose name you Anaxuna know. Moon. Thank you. <laughs> Who, by the way, mirrors her death from the beginning. Oh. A silhouette against the wall with a blade going into her stomach. Yeah. Now, I can see that I didn't really make that connection until just now, but they definitely kind of they did a callback mm-hmm. to that too. Another which little is, smart that's thing. That's kind of neat. And they did that thing where it's like the shadow on the wall, yep. which they did for a lot of like the killing in the yeah. in the in the game in the movie because it it's very much like it's very cartoony, like you say, but it's kind of nice like to not have that. I like stuff like that. I think it's way more powerful to have some of that stuff unseen and suggested. Yeah, I, I agree. And I actually still think that that was one of the aspects of the movies that really holds up to me. And mm-hmm. I wish more movies did that. I agree. I don't need to see everything. No. Let it be cinematic. Yeah. Sometimes they go for more shock and awe, I think, nowadays than like, because that I'm like, you know, like someone's getting wrecked, but I don't need to see the gruesome details. Absolutely. Of it. <laughs> Imhotep also takes a sword to the gut. Mm hmm. So that's probably, I mean, it's interesting. I need to rewatch The Mummy Returns because I did not watch that one as much. And I really just loved the storyline with like Emotep. The whole reason he was doing it was to bring back his one true love, mm-hmm. which is very much kind of like the Romeo and Juliet thing. But it is it's interesting because his in, he's so evil in some ways, but it was only because he was cheating with the Pharaoh's wife. Right. So when you really like break it down, it's like. They were in love and he had this gruesome death and he was punished for it. But in the end, like he was this huge force that was doing a lot of bad things, mm-hmm. essentially just to be reunited with like the love of his life, Yeah, which is so weird when you really think about it. Cause he, I mean, it's such intense things that he's doing as an ends to the, like the mean, like he's just going at yeah. it and killing whoever he needs to. Apparently these plagues that don't really matter all that much, but a lot of destruction along the way. And I almost wonder, like, what what would have happened if he did bring her back? Like, would they have just chilled in Hamanoptra? And like- right, right. Like, if he's going to, if his goal is to bring her back, if he gets that, is he fine? Or does he yeah. really he go on to destroy pa- the like world? world yeah, be like, he got what he wanted. Yeah. It's just interesting when you really, like, think about the plot and the storyline. Would he have been like that? That's all he wanted, and like the movie would have been totally different. But he did need a human sacrifice, which adds that's a different true. stake yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. We don't want we don't want Evelyn to die. So aside from yeah. he can do everything else. <laughs> I do wonder, like, what if he had just killed Benny? Like, did it have to be hmm. a woman, or or it had to be Evie? Like, did it? Could it have just been Benny? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, yeah. <laughs> These are the questions I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> These about are the, the mummy from 1999. <laughs> uh, speaking of Benny, he gets trapped inside, as predicted, and uh, they mm-hmm. end up riding off into the sunset on their camels. <laughs> yep. And just everything worked out. Yeah. Like, one of the things that was always funny to me is how happy they are after everything they've been through. Like, they're just like, so, like, yeah, we did that. Like, I feel like I'd have PTSD. And I feel like I would have a lot of struggles with what I just saw and what I just had to deal with. Yeah, it feels but, a little bit like another day for O'Connell. But everybody yeah. else, this is like new ground for them. 
And I, I do feel like, and the Magi guy's just alive because, mm-hmm. like, he went say, say, what did he say? Kill the creature, save the girl, or something. And then he runs off into the mummies yeah. to fight them. And then at the end, he's just on a camel hanging out. Yep. And then he rides off he's into like, the darkness again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the mummy. It's a pretty great movie. I feel like everybody should watch it at least once. I agree. I'm glad I watched it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm just not. It's not like oh, pulling that out next year and watching it again. Like it's not. It's not on my frequent <laughs> watch list. Maybe it should be just once a year. There's a there's a day that you break out the mummy. Like for me, I don't watch it as near as much as I used to. Yeah. But I feel like if I'm ever having like a bad day or something, this would be a movie that would like be comforting mm. to me. Which is such a weird thing because of what it's about and the concepts and everything. But. It's one of those things where I don't actively watch it once a year, but if I ever put it on, like, I sit down and I watch it. Like, I can't not watch it. It's a nostalgia hug. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like, I can just wrap myself up in a blanket and hang out and have, like, I mean, and, like, I was actually laughing at, like, the jokes and stuff, and I was like, this is just, I don't know, there's just something about it that will always have a special place in my heart. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you need. True. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. Katie, where can we, uh, where can we find you on the internet? Where can we plug for you? I stream on Twitch. I play video games. Like The Mummy coming soon. <laughs> like, I kind of, I honestly, I'm, I'm going to look into it because I wouldn't be against this. <laughs> Maybe playing the, the Mummy video game based on the 1999 hit, <laughs> The Mummy. <laughs> but yeah, I play on Twitch, uh, Katie Peters Plays. And yeah, I hang out on Twitter, but I mostly just play games on Twitch and try to hang out and make fun memories with everybody. Like watching The Mummy. Like watching, like watching The, the Mummy. mummy. Maybe watching The Mummy Returns soon. (laughs) I have a weekly mummy watching party. (laughs) I I do think that this would be fun to watch with my community at some point. I mean, it's kind of, we love horror and we love scary games and scary movies. So I feel like this would kind of fit, it would fit the bill a little bit. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing the show with me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited we did this. And I'm excited you watched The Mummy. Yay. Yay. And enjoyed it. On a middling level. Yay! (laughs) Yay! Hey, I'll take that. I will take that. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com, plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss The Silence of the Lambs. See you then.